And if that doesn't warm your heart, check your pulse, call an ambulance, because that was undeniably cute. So tomorrow morning, on Christmas Day at about 4.30 a.m., so around the time, those of you with kids, your kids are going to be dragging you out of bed, NASA will launch the James Webb Telescope into space, which if you're not cool enough to love space exploration, let me explain to you why that's important. And yes, that was sarcasm. If you're a nerd but you're in on the joke, it's less embarrassing. So that's what I'm doing right now. Hey, that, should, that deserved more. You guys got to give it up, okay? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Oh, man. Sometimes you guys are, like, intimidating to speak to. It's Christmas, everybody. Come on. So uh, the Hubble Space Telescope uh, was orbiting for uh, 570 kilometers above the Earth's surface for at least 31 years. And just about every major discovery in outer space, black holes, distant galaxies, new stars that are forming, have been either discovered or taken pictures by Hubble. So astrophysicists have learned so much about the universe from it, particularly how much bigger the universe is than we originally thought, that uh, 15 years ago, 2007, they started engineering and designing the new multi-billion dollar replacement, the Webb Space Telescope. And to give you an idea, it's three times as big. Uh, the sensor, the primary mirror, is about seven meters wide, and it's all infrared. And instead of it orbiting just above the Earth's atmosphere, it's actually going to be launched a million and a half kilometers into space and will actually orbit the sun. So what that means is that the images that Webb will take will be far more spectacular than the creators of Hubble could have ever imagined. And scientists, what they hope to find, they hope to discover like the absolute outer edges of the universe to see if Einstein was right about relativity and stuff like that. Uh, but what scientists are most interested in from this new telescope is peering all the way back in space and time, billions of light years to the origin of the Big Bang. And by all accounts, this is like the biggest research project in the history of the world. Now, I'm not a scientist, so uh, my opinion probably doesn't count for all that much. But my take is what they'll actually discover is that those aren't the right questions. And that exploring the material origins of the universe is super important, but it begs an even bigger question of why. See, the first astronaut, the first human in outer space uh, was a Soviet pilot by the name of Yuri Gagarin. And he was in space for about 120 minutes and he returned to Earth and he made the first observations of the universe from off of our planet. And he famously in his speech said this, I looked and I looked but I did not see God. And I guess his thinking was, well, hey, if God exists, then in space we'll discover his like celestial throne or at least some kind of empirical evidence that he exists. But um, for some, this new telescope, the James Webb Telescope, is an attempt to prove Gagarin right, that we'll look back at the origin of time and space and we'll prove that we don't need God to explain our existence. And to be clear, I love all of the space exploration and everything that it brings, but I'm convinced, as I know many of you are, that that won't be the conclusion that people come to when the images come back to Earth from Webb. In his book, Rumors of Another World, Philip Yancey writes this. He says, deep down, 
We know life matters, but we just don't know why. I love that statement. Essentially, what he's saying is information and material science are incredible. They do a great job explaining life. But what they don't do is explain the meaning of life. They don't explain why you have passion and why you feel pain. They don't explain why you desire at the deepest part of your being to be loved and accepted by others. And like my adorable friends and daughter just read to you a minute ago, according to the story of the Bible, you don't need a telescope that sees back to the origin of time to find the answer to the meaning of life because Jesus has come down to earth. It's actually the opposite. So when we believe in the Christian gospel, what we're saying is that the answer isn't out there somewhere in the cosmos for us to discover. It's that the creator came down to save us from evil, both inside and outside of us, and to restore us into his family and into his kingdom. And that's exactly what the story of the scriptures tells. So in the words of of the angel who appeared to to the shepherds, he says, I give you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the city of David, a savior has been born for you. He's Christ the Lord. So the center of our system of faith is not like an ethereal force in the universe. It is a God who became human and who came down to sort of join us in all of the mess that we've made in order to redeem and save. And um, the reason why these words still ring true and still matter is because our, um, our lives haven't changed a whole lot since those early days or that first Christmas and with the shepherds outside Bethlehem. And philosophical argumentation about the Big Bang and advanced degrees in astrophysics, I believe they all matter. But deeper than that, we need a hope that's down to earth. We need a hope that meets us where we are. And our situation isn't much different than these shepherds outside of Bethlehem on that first Christmas night. They lived in a world of social unrest. The most powerful empire in the world at the time was Rome. And they overtaxed them and oppressed them with severe violence and things like that. On top of that, these shepherds were religious outsiders in their own community because of their low economic status and because of their work. So if there was a new king who would bring life and salvation to the whole world, they would be the last to know, or at least they should have been the last to know. So it's not exactly the near post-COVID West, which is a new term that I'm coining for today. We'll see if it sticks. But in the near post-COVID West, it's, it's, um, it's not the same, but these past couple of years have shown you that you can actually relate and you can empathize with that level of sadness and despair. Some of you, some of my friends here in the room today, what you've gone through in this past year is sheer agony and it is, um, it's suffering at a level that is beyond words. And that's where some of you find yourselves tonight. So answers at the end of a telescope or a feel-good holiday trope from our entertainment industry can help you forget today, but tomorrow you're going to wake up and just know deep down that you need more. There's more to life than the material world. Because at the deepest part of you, uh, you need to understand or you need to know that despite everything, despite the evil and the pain and the virus and the stuff outside your control, and maybe especially your own failure, 
we need to know that despite all of that, you are loved. This is the most basic human desire, the most basic human longing. Some might even say this is what it is to be human, that we are those who give and receive love. Even the most introverted and left-brained people on the planet are relational at their core. I'm thinking about people in my own uh, family of origin. We still need, no matter who you are, you still need affirmation. You need acceptance. You need touch. You need community. And deep down, we're asking ourselves that question, am I lovable? And who's going to love me for me? And an image from space cannot satisfy that longing, although it can tell us probably a lot about the origins of the universe. And in my uh, tenure as a pastor, it's about a decade and a half now. There's a lot that we as humans want to know. So we get all kinds of different questions. But across the board, this is our primary question. From like the middle schooler to the elderly, from the student to the PhD, from the mountain man to the soccer mom, from the wealthy and the people who live on the street. The main question, the primary question that we wrestle with is who will love me for me? And the corresponding fear that we're seeing a lot of in our world today, and in fact, maybe this is where you find yourself, this corresponding fear is that we're alone. We don't have anyone to care for us and to love us for who we are. And intuitively, deep down, we know that without love, life is truly meaningless. So this presents a crisis. And this is why the message of the Bible is so powerful to me personally. It still resonates. It's true. In fact, as we were singing before the gathering, or excuse me, at the first gathering, I saw myself weeping at the promise of Jesus. I've sung that song maybe 50 times, and I've preached this message a handful of times before. But the further I get into my life with Jesus and the more I read this book and the more I anchor my story in his life, the deeper and more real it becomes to me and the more deeply it resonates with my spirit. And the message of the Bible is that the center of all life is a God who is overflowing with love for his people. And if you've been here these last several weeks, you know that we have been anticipating the birth of Jesus through the lens of Isaiah the prophet who lived 700 years before Jesus. And he writes to Israel during a time when their world is turned upside down, which may be an accurate way of describing the way that your world feels like right now. And into that like upside down world, the Holy Spirit says, though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken and my covenant of peace will never be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. In other words, what the Bible is trying to tell us is that although a lot of life is uncertain, from how serious the Omicron variant is to whether or not you'll get those AirPods tomorrow that you've been hoping for, but the unfailing love of God is not uncertain. He is faithful. He is safe. He loves you for you. And in the last little while, man, people have been letting you down. If there's one thing that I know as someone who is a leader of this community and who people come to to talk about their hurts and their hangups, one of the things that has been hitting us hardest during a global pandemic and all of the unrest that it brings is actually the people that are closest to us, the ones we thought we could count on, the ones that we thought would be next and near to us and dear to us till the end. It's actually, they've turned out to, 
to not be. And their love has failed, and it's a tragic, tragic thing. So in that world where our basic human values of decency and kindness have been eroding before our very eyes, the last thing that you need is another empty promise. That's the last thing you need. So the way that the love of God is described here and throughout the whole story of the Bible, um, and I would love to talk with you more about this, we're running out of time, but the way that the love of God is described in the Bible and throughout the whole story of the Bible is that the love of God keeps going when everyone else's runs out. The love of God keeps going when everyone else's runs out, and the proof of that promise is, again, Christmas. When Jesus came down to earth, I wish that we could properly appreciate how high he was on his throne and the glory and the holiness that he has and he possesses and he was yet willing to make himself nothing in the language of Philippians 2 and to make himself a servant and to humble himself on your behalf that you and I might have life in him again. This is a powerful message of genuine love. That Bethlehem scene is the proof that Jesus' love is what he says it is. That Bethlehem scene, I doubt that there was snow in the ancient Near East. And, you know, despite all of the Renaissance art, there was no Caucasians that were there. <laughs> but the details that Luke does give us, the babies lying in a manger, and the people you thought were the least, uh, the people you, you would least expect to be there are actually the guests of honor. Those couple of things tell us something really important about this gospel and really important about this king and really important about this love. His love is marked by humility and suffering and service. That's what defines Jesus' love. And number two, anyone can experience his love. The, way, the reason that the shepherds are there is to show us that, that it's, it's the, the outsider the outcast, the, the, the lower echelon, the people who've been looked over and forgotten, the people who like feel that they don't fit in, they're the ones who are first in line to receive the kingdom of God and to hear the hope and the promise of God. And so especially the ones who are down and out and the outsider and all of that are the ones who are being welcomed into the family. So that includes you. You are included in his family, you are welcomed into the kingdom of God and you can and should receive an inheritance in his kingdom. Ephesians 2 says that you were far off, were bought, or excuse me, were brought near by the blood of Jesus. You were brought near by the blood of Jesus. The message of Christmas is not to find meaning somewhere in the universe or in some abstract holiday spirit from Charles Dickens or fill in the blank from secular culture. The message is to entrust your life to Jesus by receiving his love and, 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 and you'll never be alone. You'll never be alone. And I just have to say, as someone who has been walking with Jesus for the better part of my life now, that kind of love changes you. It genuinely does. You cannot receive him without his love transforming you. Or in the language of Paul to the Corinthians, it compels you to embody that love to the world. And Jesus said his kingdom's like a mustard seed. It starts out as the smallest of all the seeds, like a baby in a manger. 
but it takes over the whole garden like an invasive species or a noxious weed. I love that picture. I love it. Because when the love of Jesus starts to propagate in our community, it cannot be stopped. It's too infectious. It's too, empower, it's too powerful. And he satisfies our, our genuine, deepest longings. And that's the love that we have received, or that's the love that we receive at Christmas. And our vision here at Riverbend, which we don't think we arrived at because we're clever. It's because we read our Bibles and we genuinely believe that this is what Jesus has for his church. That vision is that you would receive the love of Jesus and then in return begin giving away to others. It's that simple, that you would receive his love and that you would give it away to others, especially to the poor and to the outsider. If there is anything that's clear from the gospel narratives, it's that Jesus is heaven bent towards the outsider towards the one who've been rejected and forgotten. He's the one, they, he is running to them with his redemptive love. And so what we're dreaming about is, is you and me. And as we're sort of pulled together into that story of Jesus's love and as we're compelled by that love and when we practice the presence of God and receive the love of Jesus, that many, many, many more people will experience not a counterfeit version of love that is in our quasi-Christian culture, but the genuine love of Jesus that comes at the advent of Jesus. It's kind of why we're here. It's kind of the whole point of why we're here. And frankly, as, as your friend and pastor, I just cannot wait for what God will do through you and through our community. And I believe that we'll get to be a part of something. We are a part of something that's bigger than just us. Because that's another thing. At the end of the day, we need to be a part of a story that's bigger than us, that's bigger than when, our, when we're born and when we die. We don't make good protagonists. I'm not a good hero. I need a king who's worth following, whose love is real, who loves me until the end. And that's the hope that we find as we trust in Jesus. So subscribe to the feed of images that are going to be coming back from the new flashy telescope. Explore the outer reaches of the universe. I, I, I hope you do that. Shoot, buy a ticket to Mars if you want to. I'm sure Elon Musk will be selling you a ticket any year now. But take a deep breath and enjoy because you don't have to find God somewhere out there in the universe and prove your worth to him because Jesus came to earth and he loves you for you. And so what we want to do tonight is we just want to reflect on that message. It's a simple one, no doubt you've heard before. But then we want to take some time to also receive that message of love. So will you stand with me and let's pray together. I don't know where this message finds you. I know that for some of us, Christmas Eve is just sort of like one of the obligatory like traditions that we have around Christmas time. And so... If I can be so bold, we've been praying for you and we've been praying for this gathering for a long time because we believe that this is not rote religion, but that as we take part in the tradition of the church for the last 2,000 years and anchor our lives in the story of Jesus' birth, that there's something sacred about this. There's something sacred about gathering together in the name of Jesus and singing carols to his name. So let me just pray over you. 
Jesus, I thank you for coming to earth. And Jesus, I know, know that there's cynicism in some of our hearts. so used to hearing these holiday tropes of feel-goodness and whatever other stuff. Culture's been captivated by an old man in a red robe. A myth about Christmas spirit. there's at least a little part of us that's here tonight because we know for certain or we know deep within us that we have a longing that cannot be fulfilled by Charles Dickens or an image from space or an answer about the material origins of the universe. But we have a longing to receive and to give love the cynicism that we have around love is runs deep. People have let us down. In some cases, the people who are supposed to represent your love are making matters worse and not better. But there is this part in us there is this part of our spirit that believes and we want to entrust our lives to you Jesus and you are the king who emerged in Bethlehem in that first Christmas and you didn't come with loud trumpets and a lot of fanfare you came with the angel's heavenly host singing glory to God in the highest heavens to a handful of social outcasts. And that tells us about your love, God, that shows us, that teaches us about your love. And Jesus, we thank you that you did not hold back, but that you fulfilled your vocation to go all the way to your cross and to die on behalf of my sin and our sin. And you gave your life for us that we could experience newness in your family to be welcomed in adopted children and that we could have inheritance in your kingdom and you set us on this new trajectory where we're now caught up in this new grand story that's bigger than any of us and all of us combined so I just want to challenge you friends suspend that cynicism in your heart just for a moment if it's present receive this prayer God would your love rain down on us would your love come down Holy Spirit come and show us what the love of Jesus is all about and friends in these next few songs that we sing together this is a time of reflection it's a time of worship 
and I'm just going to be down here just a couple of feet away from where I'm standing right now, but I'm going to be praying for the love of God to wash over you in a way that you haven't experienced, that God would demonstrate the reality of his love in a powerful way over you right now. And for those of you who join me in this conviction and in this belief, I just want to challenge you. Would you sing aloud with me the hope that we have in Jesus and would you worship him with everything in you? Let's do it together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's sing.